0: Welcome to the Branches podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. A couple days ago, my friend told me an experience that she had where she was talking to a friend and she was being vulnerable and sharing what she was going through. And she said, I am just so dissatisfied. Why am I feeling this discontent? I have no reason to. I love my job. I love my kids. I love my husband. I'm healthy. So why am I feeling this discontent? That is a common experience for us as humans. It's part of the human condition, this hunger that we have. And during uh, this pandemic, this global pandemic we've been going through, it's even more apparent and real. Um, But it's not new. This didn't come on because of a pandemic. It's been there prior and it'll be here afterwards. In fact, the, uh, the historian, Arthur M. Schlesinger Jr., You know you're an academic when you give yourself that many names. Uh, He said it this way, and typically I would try to say it in my own words, but he said it so well that I want to read what he said about this indistinguishable or inextinguishable discontent. He said, Our society is marked by an inextinguishable discontent. Our quest is better, and what is next? We want a better job with better pay and a better boss. We want better relationships and a better car and a better backhand in tennis or a longer drive in golf. And we have a propensity to live endlessly for the next thing. The next weekend, the next vacation, the next purchase, and the next experience. We're never satisfied, never content, and envious of those who have what we have not attained or accumulated. So I wanna ask you a question, but I'm gonna rephrase the question. You've heard this question before um, where someone will say, I will be happy, now fill in the blank. Well, I'm gonna change the word happy to content. Uh, You could even put in satisfied if you want. So I will be content when? How would you fill in that blank? I will be content when? What is your blank? Um, Some of you may put in when I'm healed, when I'm promoted, when I'm married, when I'm single, when I'm successful, when I'm rich, or when I complete this, when I arrive at this finish line, then I will be content. The problem is, is that we live like we're thermometers. And this is what I mean by that. A thermometer, um, the mercury goes up and down depending on the environment. And so often we find ourselves hunting and searching to raise our level, to raise our satisfaction, our contentment by changing our circumstances, by changing our geography or changing our relationships. And so there, and I run into people like this all the time. And I do the same thing. It's for some reason our instinct. We're always hunting to find this contentment, as if when we change where we live, change where we go to school, change our job, that all of a sudden we're going to be content and happy. But the problem with that is, Wherever you go, you are still there. Contentment does not come from our circumstances. So, where does it come from? And that's what we're going to look at. We are going through the series called uh, The Space Between. And it applies to Lent because we're journeying with Christ as he heads to the cross. And the space between, it's like a, in the graphic that we use, it's a circle. You could even think of it like a cage, because sometimes we think the space between is like an imprisonment. And we're just waiting for the gate to open so that we can escape from this space that we're in instead of realizing that we're never trapped. But this is a process. I think of um, Psalm 23, walking through the valley of the shadow of death. The thing is, is that we're never meant to stay in that valley. And we need to keep walking because we will make it through. But that process is so important. And so this man-made time that we call Lent is meant for that. It's a time of preparation. And so we're not imprisoned. We're in the space between where there's nothing that we can do to change our circumstances other than continue to walk. And when we belong to our Heavenly Father, then He is using this space to create something in us, to make us more like Him, to set us free at times. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul, I want to look to him to learn about contentment. So that you can fill in that blank, but it won't look like it does right now. That answer will be different, and hopefully it'll match more with Paul's. Paul, before we get into what he says, as he writes this in Philippians, he's literally in jail. So when we talk about the space between, he's in the space, except he has a gate in front of him. And so we need to understand the context by which he says these words he's going to say about contentment. Because his circumstances would seem to keep satisfaction or contentment away from him. He's under house arrest, uh, Roman house arrest. And the way that works, uh, usually you don't have the benefit of house arrest unless you're a Roman citizen. And so it's a little nicer, but when I say a little nicer, um, you still don't get food. In fact, he would have to depend on others from outside to bring him food because the food that they would provide once a day would make it difficult to survive. And so if you are put in house arrest, you're a person that's a Roman citizen, you're probably a person of means, and so they expect you to have people from the outside, help you. And so this letter, this Philippians letter that he writes to this church in Philippi is a response basically to a care package. But the way he speaks shows that he has learned the secret of contentment, of being satisfied. And that's what I want us to look at. Because in this space between, we can be content. We can be satisfied. So it's always best when you have your own Bibles. We put the verse on the screen, but it's always best when you have it right there because then hopefully afterwards, you'll continue to read and meditate on the Word. So Philippians 4.11, knowing the context, he's just thanked the people of Philippi saying, thank you for the care package. Thank you for sending this. Thank you for remembering me. And what he says next is like a rabbit trail. It's not the topic. You know how when you're writing sometimes and you have a plan and then all of a sudden something comes to mind and so you just go off in a direction and then you end up coming back? This is him going off. And he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I've learned to be content whatever their circumstances. So we've thrown this word out, content. I've used uh, satisfied as a synonym, but what does it mean? What what did Paul mean when he used this word? Because it's the only time in the New Testament we see this particular word. And so in his culture, this word meant to be self-sufficient. What that means is to be independent. To not be dependent on circumstances or anyone else, to be content, to be satisfied. It's a um, it's a state of mind or an attitude. You're independent of all things and all people. You are like a pillar. And so he's saying that I have learned to be content. And I think this is so applicable in so many ways, but it's, it's, a, it's something that I use to communicate with couples. A lot of times, uh, married couples, when we sit down to meet, they're dissatisfied, they're not content, they're not happy. And part of it is the lie that they believe that it's their spouse's job to make them content or satisfied. We enter into this fallacy, this um, untruth, that that's what marriage is. But in actuality, we are supposed to learn how to be content and satisfied independent of our spouse. Because when we enter into that marriage, we're entering in to submit to each other, to love them, to give our life away. And we have chosen them to give our life away too to give them joy, to give them support, to give them care, to provide, protect. And so Paul is saying that this is what he has, this independence. But he had to learn it. You can't just make yourself experience it. He goes on to say in Philippians 4.12, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. Before I move on to what he continues to say here, it is okay, it's understandable to not enjoy your circumstances. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not like we're in a difficult place and we're supposed to enjoy it. That's not what this is saying. It's learning to not let those circumstances steal your joy, steal your satisfaction and contentment, because it should come from something else. So he says, I know what it is to be in need and to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, which is specific to his situation, whether living in plenty or in want. Another way to say I've learned is I've learned how not to feel any lack, regardless of how little I have. And this learning, I think that's important for us because if you're in this state of discontentment, if you're waiting for something to provide it for you, you will learn that it doesn't last, that it doesn't work. And so you continue to be a hunter, You continue to hunt to figure out what it is that's going to bring this satisfaction, this contentment. And so it's a process of realizing, well, it doesn't come from here, and it doesn't come from here, so where does it come from? And Paul has learned this because, as he says, I'm old. (laughs) He says it later in his letters. He goes, I'm just old. Philemon, I'm old. Thank you for looking out for me. And so as we grow older, we learn this mystery, because it is a mystery. But it's not a secret. It just takes time. So there's nothing I'm going to say right now that's going to give you the magic. But we need to know that we need to be intentional to move in the direction of learning what it is that Paul is currently experiencing. If we view today as less than tomorrow, then we will perpetually be dissatisfied. It's like we're living in the green room, waiting for it to then begin. Or another way to say it is, um, and I like the way someone said this, they said, if we refuse to live in our current circumstances, meaning to live in it, not just stay here putting up with it, but truly live in this space between, if we refuse to do that, what we're saying is God, This isn't enough. I deserve more. Do you know what I'm talking about? That self-pity? I know it very well. God, this isn't enough. I deserve more. And another thing that we'll learn about this mystery, what we will learn to be content is that When it happens, and it will happen, when you reach that finish line or that destination, and when you get there for whatever it is that you filled in the blank with, and you get to that and you require that blank, and then you discovered, well, this is less than I expected. This falls way below what I thought it would be. Or you realize it's temporary. Um, Maybe you get married. That, that's what you think is the blank to fill. If I get married then, but what happens when your marriage falls apart? Five, seven, 10, 20, 30 years later. Um, what if your goal, the blank, is if when I reach this professional level, when I get this certificate, when I get this license, when I get this diploma, then I will be content or satisfied. When I get this job, But then we realize that all of that is temporary. And what happens when you're unemployed, when there's no income? So we learn that that finish line, that these temporary things will never provide this contentment that Paul speaks of. So it's not hard to see that a full and thrilling life, it must be based on something that cannot change. I want to say that again. Our life must be based on something that cannot change. Otherwise, we're going to continue to be anxious. We're going to be dissatisfied when this... Life unravels because it changes. So I want us to go back to that question. I will be content when? And I want you to think about your answer. I want you to have that answer in your mind right now. So if your ship never comes in, if your dream never comes true, or if your situation never changes will you still be content will you be satisfied if not you need to now confess to god that you are discontent and that is a confession because it means we're putting our trust in something else jesus said i came so that you could have life and have it to the full we turn to Him. And when we turn to something else, we will be discontent. Again, I want to reiterate, that doesn't mean that we're not heartbroken when our, when our health fails. It's a drag. It doesn't mean that we're not sad when we can't have children. That is a time to mourn. It doesn't mean that when we lose someone dear to us, that we shouldn't be unhappy there is a time for mourning when that job we had or that job we wanted is out of our grasp but none of those if we had them would create that contentment because they change because they're temporary because they fall well below expectations but there are prescriptions And we're gonna talk about it not just now, but also in a couple weeks. Prescriptions from others that have learned the mystery of being content, of being satisfied. So I've already shared with you what Paul said, but I wanna share with you what uh, one of my heroes said, Elizabeth Elliott. Her and her husband were missionaries, and uh, they went to a very difficult place to share this good news of Jesus, this full life, Um, that Jesus offers, this salvation. And um, they went to an indigenous people and her husband was murdered by those indigenous people. And there's a beautiful story that happens much later uh, between the Elliot's, Elizabeth and her, her family and the indigenous people. If anybody could complain about their circumstances, it would be her. But this was what she said, not just about this circum this particular circumstance, but about life. And she says this when she's older. Because that's usually when the secret is clearer to us. She says, the secret <clears throat> is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. I wanna say that again. The secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. There's another man who gives a prescription, uh, a brilliant man um, named John Stott, theologian. And remember during uh, Ash Wednesday for us, we did it on a Sunday. um, We said, from dust we came and to dust we return, talking about the temporariness of life here. And so these physical bodies are literally made of the earth. Um, The elements that we are made up of can be found in dirt. And so from dust we came and to dust we return. And John Stott said this about that and contentment and satisfaction. He said, contentment is the secret of inward peace. It remembers the stark truth that we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Life, in fact, is a pilgrimage from one moment of nakedness to another. So he says we should travel light and live simply. Our enemy is not possessions but excess. Our battle cry is not nothing but enough. We've got enough. Simplicity says if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And then I will share something from my experience that this enough that John Stott talks about. This enough that Elizabeth Elliot speaks about, this Christ in me. It's meant to be shared. And when we share it, we experience more of that contentment. Um, My mom, uh, she's been married quite a few times, and she lost her fourth husband quite a few years back. And she was devastated. And she called me, and it's not her tendency to call, but she called, and I thought she would call to mourn some more But she said, you know what, something interesting happened. She said, I I was in a couch of self-pity at losing Bobby. She said, but then my friend called me desperate because her friend had cancer. And so my mom... She ended up sharing. She went and picked up food. She showed up. She was just, she was present with her friend. And she said, the unique thing is, is my morning didn't disappear because my friend had cancer. She said, I was able to take this morning and I could relate with her and I could sit next to her. And so Paul says, I've learned to be content." But still, as he says just two verses later, he says, but you know what? It was good of you to share in my troubles because we still need each other. That's a common theme that keeps coming out and all that we've been looking at in this space between. We were meant to be together. I've heard a few people, I've heard a lot of people over the past decade talk about church and say, we don't really need the church. The church is getting in the way of people following Christ. I'm sorry, that's ridiculous. The church was founded by Jesus. And maybe it takes on some forms that aren't as good as they could be. But really, what is a good form? A church is the gathering of the people that come together to love God and to love people together. And in what they did for Paul, it was the church being the church. It's a congregation. It's us being together. We need each other. So however that looks, as long as it's under the lordship of Jesus Christ, when people gather together, it will always be beautiful. It'll look different from the other groups, the other churches, but it will always be beautiful. Beautiful. So let me close again with Paul's words. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. The next time I speak, I will uh, communicate verse 13, which I think is even more of what Paul intended to communicate to the, to the church in Philippi of where we can find this contentment, of what Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot says when she said, it's Christ in me and not me in my circumstances. God bless. See you in a couple weeks.